<laughs> it was just getting to the good part, right? Yeah. Um, Kurt, Jace, thanks so much for being with us. It's a real honor to have you. Thank you. Uh, first, first time I ever cried in a church service was actually at a church that Kurt worked at for a while. Um, the, uh, the pastor started uh, telling this story, uh, and it went something like this. He, he kind of took on the responsibility in his home. Uh, it was his job to bring in the mail from the mailbox. And uh, in his family, uh, his job was kind of to be the uh, sort of the miser uh, with the money. So what he would do is when he was grabbing the mail, he would take like the catalogs or the credit card offers, all the things that could possibly tempt the rest of the people in his family for shopping. It was his job to filter that out and put it in the garbage can and then take the bills and the correspondence in the kitchen, you know, put it on the countertop. Um, so he's dumping all this stuff in the, in the trash can. And then his eye catches one of the pieces of mail that's at the very bottom. Uh, and it's a, it's a piece of mail that we've all gotten, and we've all seen it. It's the postcard that has the missing children on it. And he, he looks at it on the bottom and feels like God prompting him and saying, like, wow, uh, Bill is his name. Bill, no, no emotion. You, know, you just kind of toss that piece of paper in the trash with nothing. You know, no, nothing at all. And Bill said, you know, like, uh, he's learned over time the best, the best thing to do is just to be honest with God. God knows how you're feeling. And so he just honestly responded and said, no, no, I don't, I don't have any emotion. It's not my kid, God. Then he paused for just a second and thought about it. He said, I, he, he does have two kids. And he said, if those were my kids, if they were, he said, I would, I would quit my job. I would liquidate every asset that I had. I would spend every waking moment and I would search high and low until I either found them or I died trying. Right? Isn't that what you'd do? And then he got this sort of sense from God. Where God said, I have, I have a lot of kids that are missing, Bill. And I got some work for you to do. Now, uh, the first time I ever cried while reading a book uh, was actually at a public library. Isn't that sad? Um. A friend of mine recommended this short book called The Challenge of Jesus by N.T. Wright. If you haven't read it or anything by him, I highly recommend it. I was in a second floor study room in Elgin, Illinois at a public library overlooking the Fox River. And I got about three quarters through the book and I just started crying. Like, what was it three quarters of the way through the book that like got me as badly as it did? At this point, I had like been a Christian for my whole life almost. And not only that, but like a pastor for over a decade. The craziest thing happened while I was reading this book. I was reading this book, like a light bulb went on for me. And that light bulb for me was this. That the things that Jesus said and taught to the disciples, he was serious. He was really serious about this. Now, I had, um, growing up evangelical, I had also kind of looked at the Bible, oftentimes, especially the teachings of Jesus, as if to say the really hard things that Jesus said about, like, when someone hates you, you're supposed to return hate with love. I was like, he's not serious about that, right? Or when he, like, looked at someone and said, I want you to give all of your financial resources away to see if you really, really want me. Oh, he would never do anything like that now, right? He's not serious about that. This challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples when he said, 
if you're going to come after me, if you really want this, you're going to have to turn away from every other thing that you love and love me more. I was like, oh, he's not serious about that. And on a second floor study room in Elgin at the Elgin Public Library, a, a light bulb went on in my head that he, he wasn't kidding and he was talking to me. The time when I heard Bill Hybels look at a postcard and say that God has lots of lost children, are you going to be part of doing anything about that? That was the moment when I became evangelical, and it's never left me. On a second floor public library in Elgin, when I realized that Jesus meant those really hard things that he said, that was when I became an Anabaptist. And it's one of the reasons why I love being at Woodland Hills. The section of scripture that we're going to look at today as we continue on in our mixtape series... We're choosing scriptures that like move us. They mean something to us. And the section of scripture that we get here is at the very end of the gospel of Matthew. Um, Matthew records this challenge that Jesus gives his disciples. It's often called the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to start at verse 16. If you brought a Bible, you should pull it out and look at it. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, we are going to put it up on the screen for you. I'm going to read out of mine. Uh, It's in the NIV. Starting at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. And the next phrase, I'm really glad that Matthew left in here, but some doubted. You know, like in my life, there's a lot of worship, and there's also some doubt. I'm like, that's a natural part of it. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What a weird place to start. Doesn't Jesus always start talking in weird ways? Like, can he ever say like, hey, what's going on, guys? It's like, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And I thought about that for a second. Why would he start there? You know, people often challenge Jesus' authority, or they ask under what authority who he thought he was that he could do certain things. You know, they push back on him for breaking rules, like healing on the Sabbath. They definitely didn't look kindly on him hanging out with people that God doesn't want Christians hanging out with, right? But the thing that they challenged most often when they said, Jesus, who told you that you could do this? The thing he was most often doing when they challenged that, he was looking people right in the eye, from tax collectors to prostitutes, Pharisees to Roman centurions. He was looking them in the eye and he was telling them this, your, your sins are forgiven. And it was scandalous. People couldn't believe it. Under what authority do you get to forgive sin? And he just says it real clear to the disciples right here. All authority that exists in the heavens and on the earth. What does that include, friends? Everything. All authority has been given to me. And then in verse 19, he continues, Therefore, like since it's been given to me, he said, I'm going to give it to you, and here's the work I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Did you know that this is the job description of the church? Now, I work here at the church, and there's lots of things I do. You know, like I return email, I synchronize my calendar, uh, I go to meetings, I go to lots of meetings. It's a really good thing. I'm a person who loves meetings. I like, I love them. I love to go to meetings. Did you know that going to meetings isn't the mission of the church? I know you're surprised by this, right? It's not. Planning worship sets, not the mission of the church. Uh, Youth and children's ministry, not in and of themselves the mission of the church. There's one mission that Jesus gave these disciples, and as far as I can tell, he hasn't come down and spoken to us about changing it. 
He said this one thing. It's your job to go and to make disciples. How is it that you make disciples? Jesus wants to leave it real clear for these guys. He says there's just two things that you do. He said you're going to go and make disciples of all nations. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Now, I spent, uh, I spent most of my ministry life as a youth pastor. And I don't know if you know this, but the youth pastor's primary job description is to keep teens out of hell. Did you know that? <laughs> so that was my job. The, the primary pathways that led to hell were dancing, smoking and drinking, and dating. Like those were the three deadly sins for teenagers. It was my job to stop them. Now, when I first started being a youth pastor, the thing that happened for me was um, I couldn't believe that they paid me to do this job. You know, it'd be like mid-afternoon, I'd be at Valley Fair, strapped onto a roller coaster, and in the back of my mind I was thinking, can you believe these people pay me to do this? This is a job. I couldn't believe it. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, right? And then the last year that I was a youth pastor, I found myself at Valley Fair, strapped to that same roller coaster, and in the back of my mind I was thinking... How much do they pay me to do this again? I don't want to do this anymore. Um, As a youth pastor, um, one of the things that that motivated me for my work was that, um, do you know how hard it is to try to talk to someone who's 55 years old about changing their life? It's hard, right? Now, with God, all things are possible, but it's hard. What if you catch someone at 15? And what if at 15 years old, you can get people, get young people started off like seeking the kingdom of God first at that point, you know? Like that, that motivated me. Being able to help students and young people like choose to orient their life around Jesus. That was a motivation for me. So Jesus both talked about how, how important it is for baptizing people. And then he pushed and said, you need to teach these people everything that I've commanded you. Think about that for a second. Think about all the things that Jesus taught the disciples. I just want to remind us, like, this, we don't have an easy job. It's going to require a lot. Um, now, with, uh, with Jesus, one of the first things that he did um, that was really challenging and really helpful... The first thing that he started doing that he started getting pushed back on was that he was revealing to the people in his day, to the disciples, to the Pharisees, to people in authority, to everybody, to you and to me, he started teaching us about what God's heart was like. Now, this is easy for you guys because you guys are all like mature, well-adjusted, informed Christians. But I struggle with that for most of my life. So I was raised as um, as a conservative evangelical, strongly Republican Christian. And I knew, growing up, who God loved and who God, we weren't allowed to say hate, we were Presbyterians, who God didn't love so much. And mostly they were Democrats. (laughs) And mostly their last names ended with Clinton. Okay? So those were the people that we knew. Like, those people were out here, like, outside of God's heart, right? Um, now, Jesus faced this too, didn't he? I mean, he met with Pharisees. The Pharisees had a clear picture. These are the people that it's okay to not love. Um, and one of Jesus' primary works was to try to show the people then, and it's still his work now, 
to surprise us with how big God's heart is. Not, not one single human being in all of history is outside of this heart. Man, incredible. And that was a wide group of people that Jesus interacted with. And for the conservatives, uh, for the Republican Christians, um, it's a struggle to think about how Jesus could love people that were so full of sin, right? Whose behavior was so out of the norm, um, immoral. And for, uh, for the liberals, it's hard to imagine that Jesus could love soldiers, warlords, um, CEOs of multinational corporations, you know? All of us are really good as humans at creating the categories of who God loves and then clarifying the categories of who God doesn't love. It's not easier for us than it was back then. God's heart is still bigger than we can imagine, and it's part of our role in the Great Commission that we are baptizing and we're teaching people to obey everything God commanded. Now, uh, so I told you I, I work here as, as a pastor, so I spend a lot of time in meetings. I spend a lot of time in meetings with Christians. I spend a lot of time with meetings in meetings with Christians drinking coffee and eating food. This is like pastor's 90% job description. It's just a really good thing. I do have another part-time job, which is I, I run a little restaurant that uh, me and my best friend own over in St. Paul. Now, at this restaurant, and when, I go to, when I go to a pastor's meeting, I rub shoulders with Christians. And because they're pastors at Woodland Hills... If this is a spirituality scale, everyone who attends and goes to Woodland Hills, we're all a plus 10 on the spirituality scale, <laughs> just so you know. Okay? Um, now, when I work at Groundswell, it's a little bit of a different story. You know, over there, I rub shoulders regularly with people who, if you ask them how they felt about Jesus of Nazareth, or how they felt about the church, or the story of the Bible... They would be a negative 10. They would be as far away from it as they possibly could. I spend time with these people often. And I'm trying to imagine for myself, what is it when Jesus says, I need you to go and make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey everything I commanded. What does that mean for a person whose heart is far, far from God? What happens there? Now, when I was a youth pastor, I got to do like the glory work. Um, which meant that oftentimes I would meet kids who were just like right here. They were like on the verge, and all they needed was a little nudge. And I, I was a youth pastor in a Pentecostal church, and in a Pentecostal church we used a very effective tool to get kids to make commitments to Christ. It was called an altar call. Hold your hand up if you've ever seen or been to an altar call. Some people with two hands up. I think I got saved 17 times in high school, right? <laughs> And, uh, and to be honest with you, I, and sometimes, sometimes I miss those days. Um, there's something about asking people to stand up in a, in a moment of like decision, right? I mean, we do this when we get married. At some point, when you, if you really want to love someone, you, you stand up and go like, I'm, I'm going to be counted. Like, this is my moment. I don't know everything about what's ahead, but I'm making this commitment. And uh, it's, it's an honor to say that I played a role in helping people discover faith. And I help young people make the most important decision that they'll ever make. Like, God used me in some way to do that. And that's not because I'm a pastor. All of us have the option to be used in that way. And sometimes that can get described as like, that's fulfilling the Great Commission. But I just want to push on you a little bit 
and push on myself a little bit, that fulfilling the Great Commission doesn't always mean helping people take this step across the line. Um, Sometimes it's totally fulfilling the Great Commission if you can just help someone move from a negative 10 to a negative 9. Wow, we're preaching this morning, huh? Yeah. Do you know some people that are here have never had a positive interaction with a Christian? Never? It's, and it's the work of the church to keep our ears open to the Spirit and just say, like, God, how do you, today, how do you want to use me? You know, like if you're a plumber, sometimes you go to work as a plumber and you think it's just you and the pipe that are working together, but you're not. It's never just you and the pipe. You're a banker, it's never you in the Excel spreadsheet. You're in sales, it's never you in the email. It's not just the two of you. Do you know who else is there with you all day long? It's God. It's you and God in the pipe, and you and God in the calculator. You and God in the Excel spreadsheet. And every day, what if we went about our regular work among people that are negative 10 and negative 9 and just said, God, it's not, it's not just me in the pipe. How, how do you want to use me? I'm willing to do it. Now, a story to help with this, Jesus told a good story about this. He told a story about a farmer um, that really wanted to grow something. Uh, Now, let me just sort of confess it right from the beginning. Um, One of the reasons I signed up to work at Woodland Hills is because I totally want to grow something here. Uh, I think you do too, and I know the rest of the staff does. Um, Amen. Amen. So um, Jesus told a story about a farmer who wanted to grow something. Now, there's only one way that you get to grow things in our known world, for the most part, which is you've got to plant seeds, and then those seeds have to grow, and those grow, and they produce trees and plants that produce fruit. So if you want to get fruit, you have to sow seed. Amen? Everyone agree with that so far? Basic science, right? Now, Jesus told a story about a farmer that was scattering some seed. And the challenge with this story uh, is it's actually a fairly depressing story. Thank you, Jesus, for a depressing story. He sows the seed. Um, Some of the seed falls upon the path, right? What happens to seed that falls on the path? It can't get in the ground and grow. The birds come and eat it. That seed is what's known as a fail, right? The next soil, he says, some of the seed falls on ground that has rocks in it. This ground isn't real fertile. The seed can't grow. It just dies there. This one's a fail, right? Now, I'm not a gambling man, but at this point, it seems like we only have a 50% success rate. So the story has to get better now, right, Jesus? So Jesus says, yeah, it seems like it's going to get better. Then some of the seed goes into ground, and it first pops up, but then it gets choked out by the weeds, right? And that seed doesn't grow either. So now we have one shot, right? The the fourth chance, so to speak. And this seed falls on fertile ground and it grows and bears fruit. Um, Now, I'm not much of a math person. I didn't do good in in algebra. But as far as my calculations are concerned, that's like a 25% success rate. Now, if my kid came home and said, Dad, I got a 25% in geometry. Aren't you proud of me? What would I say? No, because that grade is a what? An F, right? I think Jesus doesn't really make any bones about it because the seeds of the kingdom are hard to grow. It's not easy. It's not easy. And yet he didn't call people to easy stuff. Now, I want to see fruit. There's very little that I love more than seeing kingdom fruit. 
And I know that in order to see kingdom fruit, that most of the seeds of the kingdom fruit don't grow. So if I want to see lots of fruit from seeds where very few of them grow, what is it that I need to do? I got to sow more seed. I got to sow more seed. Now, one day uh, Jesus is walking alongside a lake. Um, and he found two brothers. And these two brothers were fishing. It was like a common job back then. These two brothers are fishing. Jesus walks along the side and he calls out to these brothers in the boat. And sometimes I think this story gets told as if like Jesus had specific instructions that he was going to go to this particular lake and find two people fishing and they were going to be assigned to the task that he had for them. But I don't think that's how the story went. I think Jesus found two guys fishing and gave them a chance of a lifetime. And if they said yes, then he was going to use them. And if they said no, he was going to go to the next lake. And he calls to these two guys and he says, Hey, I see you guys are fishing, fishing for fish. You want to join me and we're going to fish for something more meaningful. And you know what? That Jesus is still walking alongside of the lake of all of our lives. And he's saying, Hey, you're fishing for fish, right? And we are. And then he says, Hey, do you want to fish for something that means more? Because in the back of mind, Jesus knows. And he tells another story about this. The lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And each one of these three stories carries with it the fact that like something's lost and that thing that's lost is really, 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 really important. The question for you and the question for me, <coughs> excuse me, it's like God's got lost kids out there. Maybe some in here. And he's heartbroken to be reconnected with them. And the stuff that breaks God's heart it's supposed to break ours. It's supposed to move us. Now, last thing I want to say. Um, the thing about the Great Commission that's so motivating to me, as I look around the world that we live in, as an, as an evangelical person, I know that our world and the people I rub shoulders with have deep spiritual need. They do. And I look around our society and the global economy and I see so much suffering. We clearly have deep physical need. And I think there's lots of people that look at the message and teaching of Jesus and look at the church as if to say, like, the church doesn't have any solutions for this. We as the church can give up on discipleship as a solution. But I want to reiterate to you something that I think Jesus deeply believed that I do, that I believe that he's calling us to. And it's this little statement. If you don't write anything else down, you totally should write this down. Jesus believed that there was no problem in the world that apprenticeship could not solve. Um, this weekend, we're focusing on, on youth and kids. And so we actually, instead of having me talk to you about it, we asked them to say a few things to you. So why don't you pay attention to the side screens, and then I'm going to come up with some closing comments. I'm going to ask you some questions, but you're going to pretend like I'm not sitting here. You're going to pretend like I'm inside the camera and you're talking to me that way, or if you prefer, you can look at Mr. Charlie. Okay. Okay. How do you want to change the world? Um, by making sure everybody is kind and helping people. Uh, I want to be like Jesus so I can love Jesus. Can you say it nice and loud? Help people about God. Being loving and kind to everyone around.
by helping others and and helping God. I want to change the world by making things healthier and so that people will have good health. Recycle. Uh, I want to change the world by giving people food and shelter and everything that they need. Um, I want there to be peace and like everybody loving each other. I want to go on missions trips to Haiti and help people there. By telling everyone God's word. I want to be a doctor and so I hope that I can go through college. I want to help people get better and want to help improve other people's lives. by helping people to be kind to other people, by spreading kindness, I don't know. I don't really know. I guess I want it to make it a happier place, like where more people can be happy, because there's a lot of people who are kind of stuck in bad places. And yeah. I want people to see Jesus through me, and see his love. Uh, I could volunteer in the church. I could uh, go volunteer at food shelves. I could pick up on the highway. A lot of people do not actually get a say, and I think it's important that uh, we make sure that everyone's included, whether it be in our small friend groups or anything else. How do you think you can change the world? How do I want to change the world? Um. I want everybody to at least be more educated and enlightened. Like, people don't need to all have the same beliefs or anything, but it's like, everybody just should at least know enough about kind of the world around them and stuff to make informed decisions and form educated opinions instead of just going off of stereotypes. Just through practical, um, everyday faithfulness. I feel like when people think about changing the world, we tend to zoom really big and we think, all right, I'm going to get on CNN. It's going to be breaking news. I solved world hunger. But I think Jesus' approach to it would be like, start small, start with yourself, go internal, go meditate mode, and like focus on me, get peaceful with yourself. And then I think through like one-on-one -on -one interactions with people, you can kind of spread a, a peace that we don't have a lot of on the world that, that kind of lights like fire through one-on-one through -on -one interaction. Yeah. Yeah. They, they want to change the world, right? And I think they issue us a challenge. Well, what about you? What do you want to do to change the world? And the second challenge that they address to us is like, disciples tried to stop the kids from coming to Jesus, and Jesus rebuked them sharply. He raised the value of children within the community. Jesus, it's pretty good historical evidence that the disciples that Jesus called were older teenagers. Um, this, this movement that we're a part of happened because people that age stepped up and said yes. If you're resonate age, you, you should be part of that. If you're here and you don't, you're not involved in the youth ministry, you should get engaged. If you're here and you have something to offer, something to give, you can't be a church that loves Jesus and not do a good job with kids and youth. You just can't do it because he loves it. And you don't have to be cool, super talented. We learned that from the disciples, right? When Jesus says, hey, will you, will you step up? 
He says, if you'll step up, I can use you. And that's what we're saying as a church. You don't have to have all the right tools. You just have to say yes. On the way out, they're going to collect the little forms. If you're willing to give something and contribute something, I pray that you would. I ask that for those of you that the Spirit is prompting, that you'd have the courage to say yes. Because if you say no, what happens is next time, you'll be a little more likely to say no. And if you say yes, the next time you'll be a little more likely to say yes. And God loves it when we say yes. Okay? Would you stand to your feet? We're going to close with a couple songs of commitment, and then I'm going to come up and pray a blessing over you before we go. All right. Now may you go forward into the world that God loves so deeply uh, as farmers scattering seeds. Um, like from the small things to the big things, like moving someone from negative 10 to negative 9. Like may the Lord bless you in that work. May the Lord empower you and fill you. Um, And may God put his heart of love for his lost kids. May that heart be in our heart. Amen. Go and be with God.